For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Harmony of difference and sameness. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. According with sameness is still not enlightenment. All the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interacting brings involvement, otherwise each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form. Sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined and common speech come together in the dark. Clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. Eye and sights, ear and sounds, nose and smells, taste, tongue and tastes. Thus with each and everything, depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth. Trunk and branches share the essence, revered and common, each has its speech. In the light there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and dark oppose one another like the front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit, principle responds, arrow points meet. Hearing the words, understand their meaning, don't set up standards of your own. If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? Progress is not a matter of far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, do not pass your days and nights in vain. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the harmony of difference and sameness. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom, Bodhisattva Manjushri. <laughs> to the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All 
Buddhas throughout space and time. All honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita. Good evening, everyone. So a couple of days ago on Juneteenth, I did a three and a half hour seminar on Dogen's being time and his uh, whole uh, approach to time and teaching of temporality, uh, along with Joanna Macy's deep time. Tonight, I'm just going to give a few high points of that. A few of you were there a couple days ago, so you can add things in the discussion. But uh, just to dive in, um, starting with Dogen's uh, essay, Being Time, Shobogenzo Uji, um, just uh, summarizing some of what he says, uh, that time is not some external, intractable, objective, or independent container that we are caught in. We often think of that, think that way of time, that it exists sort of out there independent of us and we have to find our way through it or meet up with deadlines or make progress in it or whatever. But uh, for Dogen, um, we are time. When we fully express ourselves right now, that's time. Time is not separate from our activity, our experience. And uh, he says, we cannot fully avoid expressing our deepest truth presently in this being of time. Dogen also offers the consolation that even a partial half-hearted expression or exertion of our being time is completely a partial being time. So Dogen is very challenging, but he also offers at various places in his writings deep profound consolation uh, and support and comfort. Uh, so we are always being time. And he's, he urges us to exhaustively study how is time. Uh, but we can't escape from being time. Um, he talks about um, the distinctive function of time as passage or flowing. There's passage from today to tomorrow passage from today to yesterday, passage from yesterday to today, passage from today to today, and passage from tomorrow to tomorrow. This happens because passage itself is the distinctive function of time. Uh, So uh, time's passing or flowing is not uh, linear. It's multidirectional. Time passes in many different ways. Um, He also, Stogan also says that it's not merely flowing, that we should not ignore uh, conventional views of time. We shouldn't ignore clock time. That's also part of the time we have to deal with. But fundamentally, time is deeper than that. Time has to do with our experience. Uh, A very uh, simple example, uh, we sit zazen for a period of 30 minutes or 40 minutes sometimes, 
and the doan hits the bell at 30 minutes. But some periods of zazen, you may have noticed, seem to go by very fast. And some periods of zazen, even though it's the same time and clock time, just seem to go on and on and never end. And the doan must have fallen asleep. So um, time is not something objective and external and real in that sense. Time is our being, our being of time. Um, so, um, um, again, I'm just going to hit some of the highlights of what I talked about Saturday, and uh, those of you who are there can bring up other parts of it, but um, we tend to think that time, that we are caught in time. Actually, we are being time. Our being is time. Um, one story that I'll mention. So I talked about some of the background sources for Dogen's perspective on time from the uh, East Asian Buddhist tradition and from our Soto lineage. I mentioned one story that I'll just mention briefly. Yunyan Dancheng, uh, who was, uh, well, eight of 781 to 841, he was the... Uh, the teacher of Dongshan, or Tozan, the great founder of Chinese Soto Zen, who wrote the Jewel Mare Samadhi that we sometimes chant. Um, so Yunyan is very important in our lineage, but he's famous as a Zen failure. Uh, he just, he's, he spent many years just not getting it. Uh, but anyway, there's one story that I mentioned uh, the other day. Uh, Yunyan was sweeping the grounds of the temple. He was doing soji. He was doing temple cleaning. And his brother, Dawu, was also a monk. One came by and looked at him and said, too busy. And Yunyan said, you should know there's one who's not busy. Now, there's more to the story, and it gets into the integration of duality and non-duality. But just this, you should know there is one who's not busy. Even when, you know, uh, Wansong, the commentator of the Book of Serenity, where that story, one of the places that story appears, said, as you eat, boil tea, sew and sweep, or uh, go on the internet or whatever else, you should recognize the one not busy. Then you will realize the union of mundane reality and awakened reality. In the Soto tradition, this is called Simultaneous inclusion, naturally not wasting any time. So one time, um, my teacher, Tenshin Ramp Anderson, uh, maybe it was in a Shosun ceremony, was asked, uh, what does it mean to waste time? So we chanted the harmony of difference and sameness. And in our translation, we say, do not pass your days and nights in vain. Another translation just says, do not waste time. Those who study the mystery... I humbly humbly urge you to not waste time. So somebody asked uh, Reb, what does it mean to waste time? And he just said, forgetting the one who's not busy is wasting time. So this is about the integration. In terms of time, this is about the integration of our sense of something deep and ultimate, our sense of the universal, and how that integrates into our everyday activity. This is, the, this is kind of a fundamental aspect of Soto Zen practice. We experience something deep, or we experience something, some, some uh, 
sense of the ultimate uh, through our zazen practice. Of course, not every period, and maybe you know, maybe it's a grad- something that we experience gradually over time, so to speak. But um, uh, we have this sense of something that goes beyond. But then our practice is in our zazen, but also when we get up from our zazen, how do we express that? So Dogen's uh, practice is about, Dogen emphasizes expression. How do we creatively express the ultimate? Uh, how do we creatively express the one not who's not busy right in the middle of our busy life? That's the point. It's not about reaching some higher state of mind or reaching some great understanding or whatever, or having some super experience. It's about, you know, Suzuki Roshi said, walking through Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, uh, walking through Golden Gate Park in the fog, gradually my robes get wet. So uh, our practice, uh, sometimes we have some some sudden experience that happens, sometimes, and it's possible to have some good understanding, but that's not the point. The point is, this sense of the ultimate, this sense of what goes beyond, how do we express it uh, right in the middle of our busyness? How do we remember the one who's not busy? So um, Saturday, I also talked about some of the background of East Asian Buddhism and how that informed Dogen's understanding of many things. I mentioned some things about Huayan Buddhism, the Buddhism that came out of the Flower Ornament Sutra that some of us chant once a month in the evenings, the first Friday evening of each month. Uh, very wonderful uh, psychedelic uh, sutra, but the Huayan school in China um, was more a little more systematic. Uh, one of the things it says, well, it also talks about how there are Buddhas and Bodhisattvas present in every, <clears throat> in every atom, at the tip of every blade of grass, innumerable Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Buddhists and Bodhisattvas are everywhere. That's kind of the vision of this uh, magnificent sutra. But one of the things it says about time is that there are ten times. Do you know that there are ten times? So there's the past, present, and future of the past. There's the past, present, and future of the future. And there's the past, present, and future of the present. And then there's all nine of those together is the tenth time. So, um, you know, that's another, another aspect of the multidimensionality of time, moving in all these different directions, as Dogen says. Um, I also talked about a story uh, from the Lotus Sutra, and I'll just mention a couple parts of it. This is the central story in the Lotus Sutra is, um, well, to make a, a longer story short, that myriad wonderful old aged bodhisattvas spring forth from the ground. And uh, the Buddha says that these bodhisattvas springing forth from the open space under the ground um, will uh, keep alive the practice in the future evil age. So they're here now, of course. Um, But um, this leads to the central revelation in the Lotus Sutra, where the Shakyamuni Buddha um, says that actually... it seems like he was born and and left the palace and struggled for many years and was awakened under the Bodhi tree and then taught for, for 40, 45 years and then passed away into nirvana. But in the Lotus Sutra, Shakyamuni Buddha reveals that actually 
he has this inconceivably long lifespan. He's been uh, practicing as a bodhisattva for many, 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 many ages. And they have, there are all these uh, magnificent metaphors for how long it is. Like all the, all the grains of sand in the Ganges, if you, t- if you put, drop one grain of sand in each uh, galaxy, or to put it that way, in this direction, uh, um, he's been he's been uh, alive that long that many ages, and then you take all the other directions too. So anyway, it's it's he's been around for a very very long time. This is an important story for Dogen in terms of his uh, sense of um, time. That um, he he talks about this story a lot. He says it's not. Merely that Buddha is present always in the world, but that his vigorous, inspiring practice continues throughout the wholehearted practice, through through the wholehearted practice of his successors, through all the children of Buddha. And uh, all of us in this Sangha and other Sanghas are defined as children of Buddha. We have become, we are we are children of Buddha. We don't necessarily realize it, but uh, that's, uh, that's what happens in uh, taking refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha. We become children of Buddha. Uh, so, um, but Dokken says about this, that uh, this inconceivable lifespan is not some abstract time frame belonging to some esoteric realm of exotic Buddhas. But it's a way of expressing for Dogen his view of time as the actuality, the reality of non-dual awakening and active practice in the concrete present context. It's not something abstract. This uh, space uh, uh, and time, he he connects space and time, but this space is not outer space or empty space. It's the space, you know, of our seats. It's the space between our ears. It's the space of our body. It's the space of the room you're in. It's the space of this Zoom room. Uh, so space is the nature of what we might, what we tentatively call things. And I'll, maybe I'll come back to that. But uh, So he says that the Buddha's uh, lifespan, this inconceivable lifespan, is alive because I mean, maybe it's literally that he's he's around here, and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are around here. But also, Dogen says that the Buddha's lifespan, lifespan right now, is um, our practice, our wholehearted practice. So here, all of us are keeping alive Buddha in this difficult time and place. So that's a little bit about Dogen's sense of time. I also want to talk, and I want to, I was going to talk more about, I wanted to talk more about Joanna Macy's deep time. Uh, because it really kind of um, helps to explicate and unfold Dogen's being time. So uh, deep time is kind of a, a, comes from deep ecology. Joanna Macy was a teacher of mine uh, who I've uh, worked with for a long time. Uh, she's, um, Buddhist scholar, but she is also a practitioner. She's uh, she practiced in the Theravada tradition in Sri Lanka and also in the Tibetan tradition. But she also has a, a keen sense of Zen. Uh, and 
One of the things that she talks about is re-inhabiting time. So this is one of the most important things I want to say, that, um, you know, uh, we, have a, we have a sense in Zen practice and in Buddhist practice of being present. Uh, some of you may remember Ram Dass's old book, Be Here Now. So there's some um, uh, impulse, tendency to want to be here now. But this is, can be very dangerous because being here now is not an escape from time. It's not about getting rid of the past and future. So I'm flipping through my notes, excuse me. But this re-inhabiting time is uh, a healthier, sane fashion for experience time, for, for experiencing time, for being time. It's not about being in a, in a narrow present where we get rid of the past and get rid of the future. And of course, at times, in some being times, we may want to do that. We might want to get rid of uh, all of the uncomfortable things in the past, all of our mistakes, all of the difficulties of the past, all the things that we regret. So there's some you know, impulse to try and escape from the past. And also with the future, um, all of our fears, all of our anxieties about, are about what might happen in the future or what will happen in some nearby future. Um, we're not, well, it's, uh, as I was saying the other day, it's possible that we might be afraid of something in the present. Like if you find yourself someplace and a grizzly bear is charging you, then you might be afraid of what's happening right now. But most of the time in being time, our sense of the future, our sense of fear, our sense of anxiety is about something that we think might happen in the future. Right. Uh, so there's this natural impulse to be present here now in a way that's really restrictive, to try and escape from time. So what Joanna talks about is um, really re-inhabiting time, seeing, feeling that this presence of t- present being of time is um, not timelessness, but timefulness, that we are deeply, that this present time includes all past times, it includes all future times. There are lots of ways to, uh, to demonstrate that. So everything that, we've ha- that has happened to us in our past is part of what's happening in your Zoom box right now. You know, uh, people that you knew when you were a child, your parents, your uh, uh, pet animals when you were a child, um, past friends and lovers and roommates and whatever. Um, All of those are part of what is uh, happening right now on your seat. So, and going beyond that, I'm going to talk about the ancestors too, as Joanna talks about, uh, that uh, um, how many of you know something about any of your great-grandparents? A number of people raised their hands. Some people didn't. But whether or, you, whether or not you know anything about your great-grandparents or their parents, uh, the way we think these days, you, you would probably agree that some something about them is part of who, who you are and what you are 
here now. So we have lineages of ancestors, uh, our, our Zen ancestors, our spiritual lineage, and uh, cultural lineages. Um, uh, so all, all kinds of different ancestors. Um, so in this sense of, this narrow sense of being here now, uh, denies that past. And so I think some of, you know, mindfulness orientations, not necessarily all, are about just being present and getting rid of the past, getting rid of the future. But time is, uh, deep time is about seeing that this present includes all pasts and all futures. So um, part of what Joanna talks about is caring for future beings. She, she started talking, about, uh, thinking about deep time as a response to her work in nuclear guardianship and her concern about nuclear waste because um, nuclear waste will be dangerous for 10,000 years and in some cases for 100,000 years. And so she thought, well, how, you know, Joanna wondered, well, how do we take care of that? How will beings in the future realize that this is a dangerous place because there's nuclear waste buried here? And uh, so she, her idea was that there would be like um, monastic communities or semi-monastic communities of spiritual seekers uh, at different nuclear waste sites uh, to remind people in the distant future that this is a uh, dangerous place. Don't dig, don't dig around in here. <laughs> so um, anyway, the, the, um, the sense of taking care of future beings. So time is moving in all these directions, right? Time moves from today to yesterday, from yesterday to tomorrow and so forth. So um, part of what we, part of our practice in the present, in this rich present that includes the past and the future is to take care of future beings. And actually, I think we all have some sense of that. If we're concerned about uh, climate damage, for example, that has to do with our concern. Well, it's, it, it's already happening. The fires in California, huge thunderstorms in, in the Chicago area, um, uh, the sea rising and, and uh, da- endangering cities on the East Coast, the big storms aggravated by climate damage in the, in the Southeast. All of this is happening already, but it's gonna, it, it is going to be much worse. Um, so how do we take care of these beings in the future? Uh, how do we take care of all the beings in the future who are actually here now also? She points out that all the DNA of all the humans present here now today in this world is going to be uh, the DNA of all the beings in the future. So, um, well, I said Saturday, unless, of course, there are extraterrestrial invaders who interbreed with us, but, but putting that aside, um, uh, we, we are connected with future beings. And, and Joanna's concern is that we do what we can to take care of future beings. So I want to talk about changing the past. Uh, and, and this is one of the main things I want to talk about. So history is a kind of provisional story we tell in the present about the past. I've uh, experienced being involved in a couple of quote-unquote historical events that are written up in history books later, and what's written does not match my experience of what was happening 
um, or my memory of what my experience of what was happening and those of other people involved. Um, so um, we can change the past. This is really important. Of course, we can change the future. We can, we can uh, help to uh, mitigate the worst of climate damage now by supporting uh, non, you know, non-fossil fuels, by supporting renewable energy uh, and, and doing that <clears throat> in our personal life and also in, um, you know, in terms of supporting changes in the systems of, of uh, the economic systems, the, the cultural systems of our society. So we can change the future that way, but we can also change the past. And there are lots of examples of that now. Um, so uh, I, this seminar was two days ago on what's now a national holiday, Juneteenth, which was the day in 1865 when finally all uh, uh, slaves in, in Texas uh, realized that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed two years ago and the Civil War had been over for more than a couple of months and that they were free. So that Juneteenth was the, it celebrates the day when finally everybody, all African-Americans, all people in this, country, in this country knew they weren't slaves anymore. Now we could say, of course, that we now have mass incarceration and there was Jim Crow and um, police murders of unarmed black people and so forth. But um, this, how we tell the story of the past changes the past and changes the meaning of the past. And this is happening all the time. So, um, you know, thanks to the brave young woman who uh, videotaped with her cell phone uh, the murder of George Floyd, there has been a, uh, a movement to respond to the history of slavery and oppression of black people in this country. And that's changing uh, the present, but it also changes the past because when we know about what things that happened in the past, we know our history, uh, that changes the present and that changes the future and that changes the meaning of the past. So this is really um, at work now here in our country in terms of the whole, of the whole uh, situation of how our country was built on slavery and racism in our economy. Uh, right now, there are bills in many states in many state legislatures, to outlaw the teaching of his, of in history classes of slavery or of race, that there are laws that they're trying to pass to prevent any teacher from mentioning anything about race. And there's one of the states, I don't know if it's Texas or uh, Arizona, who where they actually pro- have proposed that the way police now have body cams so that we can see what happens in some of these events where uh, black pet people are killed. Uh, now they want to ha- put on body cams on teachers to check that they don't say anything about race or about slavery. So this is this is so right now in the present we are having this contest about how to change the past or not, or in what way we want to change the past. Uh, The past is not set. You know, we can say that June 19th, 1865, certain things happened. Uh, It it was announced in Galveston, Texas, that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed. But um, there's many things like this, where um, events right now, events that we recall of the past change 
our present and change the future and change the meaning of the past. So this is um, not just so about social things. This is very much in terms of our personal situations too. So some of us may have traumatic experiences from our childhood, for example, or, or just uh, things that we did in the past that we now regret or mistakes we made that we feel bad about that may haunt us in various ways. This is, uh, you know, not uncommon. And one of the things that happens in Zen practices, we're sitting and, you know, being aware of what's going on in our uh, body and thoughts and these things arise, but we can change the past. We can change those things. The, the uh, meaning of those things can be changed if we, uh, forgive ourselves for our mistakes, if we forgive others for being involved in those, if we uh, forgive the people who may have hurt us, if we accept what happened in a different way, it changes the meaning of that past. And that happens in our own personal lives. And it's not set, it's fluid. It's how how we see experiences in our childhood or experiences that we've been through or mistakes we've made or so forth. Um, it's kind of helpful to make mistakes. We need to see um, how the world is changing. So uh, one of the things, um, let me get back to my notes. Oh, I was going to read a, this a passage from, from Dogen. The past of the present may also be the past of the future. The present of the future will be intimately connected to the futures of our present, yet it is not necessarily predetermined or limited by our present future. We can reclaim the past in the present and thus be act, we can actually change our past as well as our present for the sake of the future. So history is the changing process, as I may have said, of defining the past for the present. And the stories we tell about the past in the present change the meaning of past events. So um, just a couple of other things I want to say about all of this, and then I want to, to hear your comments and responses. So another part of this is to appreciate the ancestors. So we do this... Um, sometimes we chant the names of the ancestors in the Zen lineage from Shakyamuni Buddha to Dogen or to Suzuki Roshi or whatever. Um, and um, so we have spiritual lineages. So Jukai are taking the precepts is about connecting with a spiritual lineage and being confirmed in it and recognizing our Buddha nature. But um, of course, as I was saying, we also have personal uh, genetic lineages and ancestors that way, cultural lineages. But we also have ancestors in the future. So time is moving in all in all these different directions. There was one. There was another quote that I that I missed that I wanted to say, and I you know I'm not going to get everything in that I got in in the three and a half hours Saturday. Um, oh, just one quote from Hongzhou from Cultivating the Empty Field. He was a century before Dogen in China. He said, this is the time and place to leap beyond the 10,000 emotional entanglements of innumerable eons. Time 
or one contemplation of the 10,000 years finally goes beyond all the transitory and you emerge with spontaneity. So this sense of contemplation of the 10,000 years, when we have a wider sense of time, then um, it's not that we ignore clock time. It's not that we ignore the problems of the present of 2021 or whatever. It's not that we ignore the problems of our life, you know, in uh, June, is this June still? Yeah. Uh, but how do we see this in this broader time frame? Both are happening at the same time. This, this timefulness of being present here now and seeing that, um, in ha- that when we re-inhabit time, when we don't try and deny time, all of time is here now. So Dogen talks about uh, when he's celebrating the uh, Buddha's Awake Enlightenment Day, he says that all Buddhists are enlightened today. All Buddhists in the past and the present and the future. This time is happening in all these directions at once here now. So, um, so in the same way, we can look at the future beings. Joanne emphasizes, you know, actually meeting future beings uh, and um, imagining future beings in specific times, in specific places, um, in Chicago or Cleveland or Pittsburgh or Joliet or wherever you are, and um, particular or Florida even, and particular future beings 50 years from now or 500 years from now. And how, how are they looking at us? How do they encourage us? How can we be supported by them? They are looking back at us, looking back or you know, however you want to see time, and uh, encouraging us to take care of our time for, for the future and for the past. So I could keep babbling. There's a whole lot more to say. Um, but I'll leave it at that for now, and maybe uh, in discussion more can come up. So any of you who were there Saturday and want to bring up something that I said then, you're welcome to, or just anyone who has any uh, questions or comments or responses to any of this um, and I, you know, I uh, maybe I was a little too busy in trying to trying to, you know, get everything in from the other day during this time. But it's okay because we are being time. So comments, questions, responses, please feel free. Jen, hi, good to see you. Well, thanks. Uh, it's great. It's really nice to be here to see people. Um, Come again. <laughs> In some future present time. Right, yes. <laughs> um, I have a document that's about 11 pages long, and it's in nine-point type. And it is a list of the people. Some of them are not named because nobody knows their names of people who were lynched in the United States between the time of the end of the Civil War and about 1945. And um, I would kind of carry this around with me when I went to meetings and expect people to be impressed because I cared so much about this, you know, and I would walk up to people like Stan Willis or um, other, other people and, 
you know, tell them about this document or show it to them. And they would go, huh, you know. And I could never understand why they didn't feel more connected to it. Until, I guess it was, I, I, I hate to connect it to the death of George Floyd, but Please. I think it was uh, Mike, Mike Brown uh, when that young man was shot and his body was left in um, St. Louis. In St. Louis, yeah, on the street for four or five hours where, while his relatives uh, fretted and the police would not let them. But anyway, um, uh, that past moved into the present. And I, I did not realize that uh, the lynching had continued so completely up to the present day until, yes. and, until, I, and, until you realize how many people have been killed by the police. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And, and I, I, was, it, it, I, I finally understood why people would just brush off the fact that I had this enormous list of victims of lynching uh, from the past. And I finally understood that 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 didn't end. Well, this is still happening in the present, as you say, yes. the police murders. And more than the police murders um, or uh, murders by other people, white people, uh, black people, and a whole... Um, white supremacy terrorist party controlling the Senate who's trying to suppress, you know, do voter suppression so that the voter, the voting uh, ability and the voting rights will be um, worse than they were before Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. uh, helped to pass the voting rights bill. Anyway. Yeah. So this is continuing and through mass incarceration and so forth. So that, that in some ways has never stopped. It's taken different forms. Uh, But but learning about that history. So just in the last few years, people have learned about the massacre in Tulsa in, in 1921, where uh, a whole very affluent, well-to-do middle-class black, large black neighborhood was burnt to the ground completely. 300 or more people killed. They're just discovering the mass graves. Uh, it, was ju- it was just covered up. Uh, even people in Tulsa didn't know about it um, until uh, the last few years, some people knew. Anyway, th- that's an example. There, so history is really interesting because, again, the stories we tell now about the past, we change the history. And when we understand more about the history, that changes the present and how we see the present. And then, you know, people can argue about, well, we shouldn't let that be in the history books because, you know, that's going to take, take away our power or whatever. Um, so... Uh, the past is not gone. The past is fully present. The, our present includes all the different pasts. You know, time is moving around in all these directions. It's, there's different pasts, and how do they how do they um, express the present? And then the futures. How are the different futures? You know, there's not in, in Buddhist uh, thinking. There's not predestination. The future's not set. So. You know, for example, with climate damage, um, we don't know, 
you know, there, there are mass extinctions, but we don't know if people are going to go extinct. It's possible, but I, I kind of doubt it. Somebody, some, some of us will continue. How do we make the best of it? How do we, so the future's not set. The past is not set either. Even though we think the past is gone, the past changes. We, these are all examples of the past changing. And that's all part of our present. So uh, other comments or questions or responses about that or anything else about being yeah, time. Yes, uh, Deborah. No, I'm sorry, Mr. Talk Saturday, but um, and I'm not sure what you're saying is what I'm understanding or have a sense of it. As you talk about this different um, levels of time or expressions of time, is the does the human in a sense, have a knowing that isn't able to be expressed. And I, I know you didn't use that word as you spoke, but I, I'm just kind of bringing this vague word up. Is it at all relevant to what you're speaking about? That's my question. Well, can, I, I, I'm not sure I got what the question is. Can you say it again, please? Okay. Well, part of it has comes, I've, I've studied a lot about trauma, for example. Let's just use that example. Yeah, and there's a feeling very relevant. Like, yeah. yeah. So this Menachem talks about this. He talks that he feels that trauma is in the DNA. It's in the white DNA. It's in the black DNA. It's in the Asian DNA. And, and I'm just using that as one example. It's just a, a an expression of a concept. But um, I feel that there is sort of a knowing that can go on. And you can have, for example, the Jewish people can have thousands of years of trauma or, or African-Americans. And, um, and it, I know this is a more of a specific example, but is there a kind of knowing? Sometimes I, because it's, I can't explain it. Like um, that's come up for me a few times on a couple subjects. And as I hear you speak this evening, it came up about time because there's sometimes I feel what you're saying is a knowing, you know, not so much a cognitive understanding. And maybe you wouldn't uh. use that word. You wouldn't use that word, but I'm just asking. So. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I, you know, there's this sense in which, you know, the example you gave that, you know, race is traumatic for everyone, in, in, in the, at least in this country. We're all traumatized by all the different aspects of race. And, um, you know, white people, uh, black people, brown people, you know, Asian people, it, it, it affects all of us. And it's not a matter of, you know, finding blame. It's a matter of how does it, how is it impacting our present? And just, so the, so um, there's different kinds of knowing. This is a very important part of Zen uh, teaching. Uh, Dogen talks about this a lot. Uh, when we're out in the middle of an ocean, for example, and we don't see any, any of the shoreline, we think the ocean is circular, he says in Ginjo Koa. But it, but then when we get closer to the shore, we see the distinctions, the uh, distinctions of the shoreline. Or, for ex- another example, human beings have one sense of water; fish have another. Uh, hungry ghosts have an, yet another. Dragons have a different idea, a different sense of time. So, of of water, excuse me. So, uh, well, I am time. But um, so there's different kinds of knowing. And I think that's part of what your question is getting at. There's a knowing that is in our body. It's not just some linear rational thinking. And that, and not to get rid of that, there are things out, we can know things rationally. But also, we know, we know things, especially when you're talking about trauma, 
PTSD, for example, we, there's a knowledge of that in our body, different parts of our body and different tensions in our body. So, um, yeah, how do we know the past and the present? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that, if I responded to your question. Yes. Thank you. No, you kind of touched it. I have to expand my thoughts. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Howard. Thank you for your talk, Tykin. Um, hopefully my internet doesn't drop out on me. Um, it's a little low volume, but that's okay. Go ahead. We'll be operating at like two different times if that happens. Um, I was, was, you know, you mentioned the Lotus Sutra and I was thinking a lot as you're, um, you know, as you're bringing up the topics that you're bringing up about the Bodhisattva springing up from the earth. Um, and almost sort of like, I had never thought about it like this before, but the sense of like, you don't know when the bodhisattva is going to spring up out of the earth. There's a lot of them, and they and bodhisattvas are there to to help you cultivate, help remind you, right, to practice. Um, uh, and in a way, I'm kind of thinking of as like, um, you know, in the Lotus Sutra, there's all this stuff about like, oh, you know, this person didn't even know that they were a bodhisattva, didn't even know that they were already going to be with us, um, and that and it. That in a way was is like the prerequisite for becoming one in the first place. But one had to be one had to notice that the bodhisattva was springing up in the first place. Um, so I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is there's something here about um, all these opportunities for awakening that we that we are or are not sort of willing to be open to. So you know I'm thinking about resistances to you know learning about Tulsa or learning about you know, all the terrible things that have happened in, in American history. Um, you know, the places and, and situations in which we are or are not willing to hear it, um, are willing or not willing to perceive or relate to it as a teaching in some way about suffering, our place in the suffering, how we are shaped by it, um, how we take it and internalize it and bring it back out into the world in some way. Um, so yeah, I, that's a bit of a rambling thought, but um, I hadn't thought about the, the Bodhisattva springing up from the earth in that way. But um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, it's it's you know that's um, there's a lot in what you said that um, these awakening beings spring out of the earth at different times. We may or may not recognize them. We may not be open enough. So one of the things that practice does is to kind of tenderize us, you know, sitting sasana a lot, you kind of get kind of a little bit softened up and you can recognize some of this stuff more. Um, I want to, I want to add to what you were saying though. It's not just that there is this history of terrible things because there's also lineages of uh, courageous people who tried to, uh, you know, save all such beings who tried to help in certain in different situations. Whether or not they'd ever heard of bodhisattvas, you know, there there were uh, people who um, uh, you know tried to. There were abolitionists, people who tried to uh, work towards freeing the slaves. I, that was a, that's the whole thing I mentioned Saturday that I wanted to mention again um, about the Civil War. Uh, this is about changing history. And I, I talked about this Saturday, and I forgot to say it now, that the, the history of the Civil War uh, has really changed 
it can really change. It can change in different directions. I, when I was a kid, I, I, well, I've always liked looking, studying history, but I, I particularly studied the Civil War. And back then, most of the books, at least the ones I encountered about the Civil War were these stories about the noble generals and the, and the different military battles and how they were lost or won and Gettysburg and Chancellorsville. And, and then the noble generals on both sides, right? Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant. And now we know that the Civil War, uh, in some reality, was about uh, freeing slaves or ending slavery. And now we know that, or I've heard that Robert E. Lee was actually a really brutal slave owner. Uh, so how we see that history changes. And that's like seeing changing the history of what we know about, you know, American history, about our own personal history. We, can, we, we, we see it in different ways. But there's also the history of, you know, people who are working to uh, help working as bodhisattvas, whether they knew it or not. Um, so many examples, you know, that uh, until 101 years, before 101 years ago, women were just not allowed to vote in this country. Women were prohibited from voting. Women were not worthy of voting in this country 101 years ago. It was just understood that women were just not qualified. And then... Suddenly, not suddenly, but after, you know, all the suffragettes and, uh, and all the, the women's suffrage movement for decades, um, they forced Congress to change it so that women were allowed to vote. Hooray. And now we have a woman vice president. So, you know, these things change. And it, they change not just because of the brutality or whatever of the past. And there is that. But how, how do we see the whole thing? How do we see also uh, the people who helped to make things better? So there's lineages of that too. Uh, just to add that, to not make this all gloomy, that, that wonderful things happen suddenly after lots of work. Supreme Court legalized gay marriage, and it would have been thought like impossible, like, you know, five years before or whatever. But, uh, you know, because... because uh, conservative politicians and judges finally realized that they had family members who were gay. They realized, Oh yeah, that's <laughs> anyway, it's uh, lots of things change and it's, it's this kind of um, interesting ferment of how do we see, how do we change the past and how does the past change the future? Uh, so uh, history is really important in knowing history but history changes. <laughs> so I gave some examples, but uh, anyway, other comments. Yes, Jerry. Hi. Hi. Um, I was thinking about the phrase that uh, Joanna Macy uses about re-inhabiting time. And I like that. And uh, it, there's, when I think about time as being more whole, so the past and the present and the future are going on all the time. There, I don't know exactly how to explain it, except to, it gives me a sense of, of, of coming home and a, a better sense of being in my own body. Yes. And less, uh, less someplace else. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and, and that's a really nice way to think about it of sort of re-inhabiting time is in effect re-inhabiting yourself or, 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 you know, coming home again. Well, we are time. We are being time. Time is not something external. Jerry sent me an interesting article about how people have felt trapped by time. And there were even people who in the 1890s, it was really interesting, who were, who were trying to bomb big public clocks to destroy them. Cause then if there weren't any clocks, then we'd be free of time. Uh, and uh, you know, that, that impulse I, is maybe understandable to feel we can all feel, um, you know, the pressures of deadlines and of having to be certain place at a certain time. And, you know, um, uh, my cats don't worry about, you know, what time it is. They know when they're hungry and they come and ask for food. But, um, you know, we, we get caught by our sense of clock time. We have to observe that. We have to... We have to, um, you know, respect conventional um, views of reality. When the light turns red, we stop. But uh, in a deeper sense, time is this fluid thing moving in all directions. So, yeah, re-inhabiting time. And that means re-inhabiting our body, too. So, yes, Jerry, thank you. Can, can I say something? Go ahead. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a really good book called Longitude by Sobel, I think the name is. And it's about um, when people were sailing around on ships more and more and more, they couldn't tell. They could tell um, east and west from where the sun was, but they couldn't tell where they were north and south. Oh, and so yes. it's a whole story of inventing a clock that's stable enough on a ship that as the ship rolls around, it doesn't lose time. And what they learned was they, in order to know where you were in time, you had to know where you were in space. Yes. It's a really interesting, <laughs> uh, it's a really nice read, but yeah, that's the tell point me, of the tell, story. Say, say, this, say the name of the book again, please. It's called Longitude. And, and it's by the, Sobel, S-O-B-E-L. She also okay. wrote a book about Galileo, but this one is really good. Cool. Uh, thank and it, you. It's, and it's actually the person who actually in, ended up inventing this clock is a, 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 like a poor farmer mechanic, and he sends it into the Royal Historical uh, Scientific Society. Oh. And Isaac Newton thinks that he's not educated enough to make this clock, so he tries. He he knocks it over and tries to break it. And there's a little sort of intrigue in the story. <laughs> I've heard about that that story. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but yeah, but it's about figuring out how to tell tell where you are in north and south when you're in the middle of nowhere, basically, or on the middle of the ocean. Interesting. Yeah, yeah we resist good. time in some ways. Yeah. But being time is to be as, yeah, fully inhabiting time. Uh, other, uh, yeah, Ed? Yeah, thank, thanks. And, you know, I was just going to mention, um, there's this famous story about Seamus Haney when he was a student. And there was an incident that the teacher, um, he was more or less punished in a way. He, he had to write the words, I must tell the truth. And I think all of us might have had experiences like this on the chalkboard repeatedly. And instead, he wrote the, he wrote the phrase repeatedly, I am the truth. Ah. And in that sense, in that <laughs> sense, he, you know, and it seems it's almost, it's like evoking Jesus in a way, but um, it served to, it served notice upon the instructor 
that objectifying time as a truth separate from his being is problematic at, in the minimum. Yes. And so, and so I just wanted to mention that, that uh, story. Thank you. That's very relevant. Uh, so it's not just, so I am the truth, also I am time, or time is me, or, you know, we can turn it around that way. But, um, yeah, that's what Dogen is talking about, that time is being and being is time, and it's our being of time. And this also goes back to what Deborah was talking about. What it, what what do you mean? What what truth, Kimasabi? You know, what are you talking about about truth? How are there many? So there's a, there are some koans about this. In fact, one commentary on the the one who's not busy talks about different aspects of reality. But um, is there one reality? Are there many realities? Are some realities? more real than other realities. This is, this is not just theoretical, you know, because in our country now we have this huge division over, you know, facts and, and uh, <laughs> you know, false facts and so forth. Yes, Ed. And then, like, and, like you're saying, all truth necessarily resides in time. So to suggest the truth independent of time is false, always, one might, one might say. But then again, in time, we change the truth because we change the past and we change the future and we change the present. So I, I, I like, there's a quote from William Blake, the great British poet, who says, anything that can be imagined is an image of the truth. So, you know, is fake news the truth? Well, for some people it is. I don't know. It's, it's so uh, we also have precepts to look at uh, as a way of assessing the truth. What is uh, what is real? We can look at in terms of how does it benefit beings? How does it include all beings? How does it not kill? How does it, you know, not take what is not given? So we can look at the different truths in, in those terms. But it, but but reality is not. Well, I don't know. This is a question. Is there one reality that includes all the other realities? <laughs> so I don't know. But in time, it moves around. <laughs> in, our, in our being. Yes, Co. Well, I've been uh, wondering about ultimate and relative reality, and I was wondering if you could also consider there being an ultimate past and a relative past. Sure. And the relative past can be changed by our stories and the meaning we make of it, but there's something ultimate that I think of as persistent and beyond reinterpreting. Interesting. Yeah. So our practice is exactly about this relationship uh, in, in Soto's and fivefold relationship between the ultimate or universal and the, and the particular phenomenal. And I hadn't, hadn't thought about that in the way you're just talking about it in terms of times, like there is some ultimate universal time. Well, all time is the universal time. I don't know. I have to think about that more. That's interesting. Thank you. So uh, in terms of honoring clock time, we're uh, running a little bit late, but uh, if anybody else has something you want to, throw into the time pot here. <laughs> we can talk one, about one more thing. Yes, Wade, hi. 
Uh, well, just a short question, I guess, to wrap us up. Um, I was interested in the word being in the title, being time, because that word means a lot of different things in English, you know, as a noun, as a as a verb, as a state of being, um, no pun intended. So I, is the Japanese similarly multivalenced? What is Dogen talking about specifically when you say being time? Is that something being time the way that someone is being chased or is it a being that is time or you know yes i would say all of the above sometimes it's translated as existence time um but i would say being as a verb being time or time being i think it's helpful to see it all those ways the, the japanese uh uji is the name of the uh, essay which literally means u means yes or existence being in that sense. G is just a common character for time. So it's, it's, um, it's not that being is time, it's the being of time or time in its beingness. Or, uh, so I think, you know, I think it's actually useful to translate it in that way as being time uh, or sometimes a, uh, um, there's a wonderful book by... Um, Oh, what's her name? I forget. The t- a Tale for the Time Being. She came and spoke at Ancient Dragon a few years ago. Uh, it's a really fascinating book about Japanese Zen. And, uh, Isn't and it Madeline Langle? What's that? Is it Madeline Langle or? No, it's uh, Ruth Oseki. Ruth oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember her. Okay. Yeah, A Tale for the Time Being. Uh, very, I re- highly recommend that book. It's it's and there's, it's it's too complicated to say what it's about, but it's a, partly it's about Japanese Zen and about World War II and and about um, uh, the North, the American Northwest, and many other things. Anyway, um, but I think uh, part of what's so rich and what's so uh, fun about cha- translating Chinese and Japanese texts is that Chinese characters have array, an array of meanings and overtones. And, you know, it's not a, it, I, the point isn't what did Dogen mean by that? Because I think he meant, he had this sense of, um, Stephen Hine calls it creative ambiguity. So to use a Chinese character like Wu, Wu is the opposite of Mu. Mu means no or not, or Mu like in the Mu koan is, does a dog have Buddha nature? Mu. But in the original koan, Jiaojia was also asked by another monk, does a dog have Buddha nature? And he said, Ooh, yes, it has. So U in Uji can be translated, it has, it has time. But anyway, it's, uh, so, um, you know, one of the things about Dogen is he's tremendously playful. And one of the things about, and it's like the Zen koans are playful. So it's not about, you know, going back to what Deborah was saying, it's not about knowing what is the right meaning of it. I mean, we can, you know, we can have different interpretations, but it's about playing with, the meaning. So thank you for that, Wade. And um, maybe on that note, we'll close uh, with the uh, four Bodhisattva vows. And then afterwards, if anybody wants to, then I'll have announcements. And if anyone wants to hang out after that, just for a little bit, uh, we can do that. So.